Nighttime is the Right Time. It's Ars Sinclair, episode 89. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Ars Sinclair. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today, Aaron, we're going to be talking about nighttime. Oh, yeah. Would you consider yourself to be a creature of the night? Oh, good God, yes. I am a night owl. Uh, the work in this job I've got now is brutal. Having to get up at like six something in the morning, it's killing me, Boat. Mm. You've been at it for almost 10 years, though. You haven't gotten used to it. Absolutely not. Well, you know, when I worked a, uh, I worked a night shift job for many years, four to four, 4 p.m. to 4 a.m. And I always liked it. I'm just always naturally a, a, a late night guy. Probably because, well, at first I just always was as a kid. Even when I was a little kid, I stayed up late. But as an adult, it was easier because everybody would go, to, like my roommates would all be in bed or whatever. You got the free reign, do whatever you want. And then now as a parent, the kid goes to bed. So I could got free reign. So I, you, normally I don't go to bed till a little after one. Wow. And then get up around 6.30 or so. And so uh, it's probably not healthy mentally. That, mm-hmm. could explain, <laughs> that could explain my performance at various games. What about you? I am not a night owl at all. I am a an early riser. Even on the weekends, I tend to, if, I, if I'm up after seven, I consider that wasted time. I'm one of these people that feels like if I don't get something done before eight o'clock in the morning that I've wasted my day. Oh man. I, I, I feel like if I did anything for the entire day, I'm in, I mean, good. <laughs> How do you get up so early? I mean, I guess because of your profession, you had no choice. Did you? I, well, I've always, yeah. I mean, when I was, a, when I was younger, I, 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 I love to sleep in, but there's something mm-hmm. as I get, as I've gotten older, uh, you know, I set the alarm. The secret is to put the alarm not in your room. You put the alarm somewhere else that you actually have to get up and walk out of the room to turn off. And then by the time you're out there, you're like, well, I'm already up moving around. Might as well get up. The next secret is the immediate shower after you wake up. After you wake up. If I don't immediately take a shower, I can't wake up. You know, so you're one of those people, if the alarm's real close, you'll just shut it I'll off. I'll just shut it then, off. I'll just shut it know, off and roll over. The chud sets no less than three alarm clocks mm. uh because same time or different times uh i don't know now he, he occasionally vary it i used to live with a my good buddy wes uh and wes was a guy who he used to watch s- jurassic park all the time on loop no that was that was my old roommate nancy but but wes would sleep through his alarm clock all the time I mean, this thing would wake up everyone in the neighborhood. It was mm. so loud. But he was a real deep sleeper. Mm-hmm. I'm one of these people that I always, since I get, I go to bed so late that my body's in the habit of getting up and instantly go, taking off. Like, I mean, I, I mean, I get up, grab a shower, and hit the road in probably less than ten minutes. Wow. I mean, I go. Uh, because, which is, by the way, it's the same thing the Romans used to do. They were the exact same way. So maybe I was at Roman at heart. Mm-hmm. But they, they they didn't have alarms or even set times to go into work. They would just get up and go. And some of the more prominent uh, Romans would brag about how quickly they could be on the on the street, mm-hmm. you know, after, after being in bed. That's the way I am. You throw on uh, a toga and you go. Yeah. that's Boy, I wish. I wish <laughs> I could do that. But the last time I tried that, they wouldn't let me wear it in a lab. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a bummer. But the, yeah, I'm always the kind of person that just waits and waits and waits to the last minute and then goes. You know, there's which is not there's, necessarily a there's good something idea. I've always wondered about you. 
Mm. So now that we're talking about the the nighttime, do you do you have a routine? Do you, I mean, do you do you put on pajamas and do you lounge in the pajamas before you go to bed? Yes. Well, I mean, I wear like shorts and like a you know like a tank you, well, top everybody a knows about your sleeping tunic. But I was wondering. A, that's more of a winter affair. Okay, but, but I yeah. mean, do you actually like hang out in those clothes? It's not like you put them on immediately before you go to bed. Right, okay. right. I, well, it depends on how busy I am, but yeah, often I will say the funny thing, like for tonight, if I stream like on a Friday, then like I'll I'm not gonna be sitting here in my PJs, you know. But then I'll put them up for bed. But if I don't do anything that night, then I usually put on my relaxing attire and mm-hmm. then k- kick around and watch some TV or something. Yeah, or, or, and I I know you've got legitimate PJs. Don't oh you? yeah, like, I don't I, have I, any. I love you know I I love a good pair of pajama pants. Uh, I would like to get a, a, a pair of matching jammies, uh, but uh, I haven't I haven't gone down that road yet because the ultimate dream is the matching jammies and then you get the nice velvet robe that you put on over mm-hmm. top of that. So you're talking about you and E both having matching jammies, is that what you're saying? I would love that. I would love I that. I would go, just to, listen, it's 2022, Boat. Mm-hmm. I think it's high time that you that you guys got matching 90s. I think that'd be dandy. You know, the 90, there's a lot of advantages to the 90. Easy oh, yeah. access to the latrine is one of them. That is, but that could also be a detriment, That's depending true. on how that goes. That's if true. you're not used to like wearing a nighty, I've heard. Yeah, yeah. You ever sleep au natural? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. See, I can't. I, I don't have it in me. It's sort of not, it, especially I did it like camp. I, also at what? camp. I, yeah, when I was at camp. <laughs> I did, yeah. Wait a minute. At camp, you were sharing a tent with another guy. Yeah, but it was it would get super duper. It, it, you know, camp's a funny thing. You've been to camp. Lot, some many nights, times. some nights it's real, real cold. And so I would go to sleep in my scout outfit. Sure. It's like already on. I understand that. Good to go. Explain to me the other side. It would be brutally hot. And so I would go, yeah, I would just crawl into, once you get into, what happens in the sleeping bag stays in the sleeping bag. You just take it off. Well, yeah. I, I mean, was a lot more spry back in those days, but mm, flexible. I'm uncomfortable you know? with my own nudity. Well, yeah. I try not to think about it, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. Let's talk about nighttime, Aaron. That plays anything but this. The haunting love theme from from nighttime. Uh, nighttime spelled cool guy style, but T Y M E. Any thoughts on the spelling of this? Well, you know, uh, I think that um, you're when you're in night. Obviously, you're from the past, and in the past, they spelled everything cool guy style. So that's right. correct. <laughs> so you're. Not, I didn't think. I mean, this isn't some kind of bizarre spelling that I've not been told about. Right? No, no, that's just <laughs> that's what they a- did back then. Okay. Everything that why? was an I was an it was an it was a Y. Why isn't like, there a Y in night? Couldn't they have stuck that in there? Well, you know the original pronunciation of night, they would actually said the K. Did you know that? Knight? Yeah, the K-night. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, that's proven. What, what about Kenigit? Remember that? I don't From, know what uh, that you know, means. Monty Python? No, okay, oh, we'll leave okay. that one sitting there then. So, Nighttime, uh, published by Mad. Or as I later found out, uh, Mastertronic added dimension. Boat. Oh, okay. You so this was a, a sub-label of Mastertronic. That's right. It says here it's the publishing label of the Mastertronic Group, uh, and this game, I guess, I believe, as I recall, weren't the Mad ones. They were the more, uh, they were the lo- more adventurous games yeah, from yeah. that from that outfit. 
Uh, this was released way back in April of 1986, Boat, and was put together by a fellow named David Jones. Good old David Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, David Jones is very famous for this series of games, which uh, this is a, one of a series. Uh, it was followed up by a game called Stormbringer. Uh, the other games in the series were Spellbound, and I believe uh, Finders Keepers mm-hmm. was in there. The music on this was done by our old pal, uh, David Whitaker. I knew it. Boat. I knew it. Uh, he did, of course, he's done tons of stuff, but on the... Uh, on the ZX, he actually we all remember Lazy Jones, which is an all-time classic. <laughs> That's I love that game. Hocus Focus, Humphrey, Mayhem, and Punchy. Mm, give me uh, some Punchy t- any day. The title screen, spiked Punchy for me, please. Uh, title screen was done by Rayo, and pretty attractive title screen. Mm-hmm. He did a game called the Ch- get this, but we got to try this. He did the title screen for a game called Transatlantic Balloon Challenge. Oh, that sounds that fun. That sounds great. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Also, he did, all, he did the title screens for all of the uh, uh, games from David Jones. Uh, this uh, was available. Now, get this boat. Here's a weird one. Here's a weird little factoid here. This game was originally released for the Specky 128. Okay. Hmm. The original release. Okay. And then they went back and they made like a cut rate version for the 48K right. uh, Spectrum that, uh, believe it, aside from that having less, um, it has no music, but it's also got less screens. So get this. I saw this on Moby, and this is kind of neat. So uh, according to Moby, Nighttime is the first X Spectrum game that was released only for 128K machines, right? And not as an enhanced version for the 48K. However, three months after the original, a stripped-down version was released for 48K. Get this, though. The uh, uh, the 128K version of this sold 7,400 copies. Okay? The 48K stripped-down version sold 32,700 copies. Yeah. Well, it shows so. you It shows you why <laughs> most 128K games were just enhanced versions of the 48K games. Because there were yeah. so many more 48K Spectrums out there. That that's sort of depressing though in a lot of ways isn't it it? Is. because I mean because the you know, music in this is tight and, mm-hmm. and hey who doesn't like more screens I right. know I do um, so uh, how would you explain what this game is I mean this is your classic sort of specky run around and grab stuff game taken to the limits I would say wouldn't you Yeah I mean what this game is is a side scrolling platformer that uh, ha- that is a a it's not a point and click adventure game it's a it's a inventory based adventure game um <clears throat> this game oh, yeah. uh in this game you play as a knight the eponymous knight and uh you are uh you are on a spaceship and your job is to uh is to travel to all these different places okay and somehow make it back you've been sent forward in time i believe is the story that's correct uh, the from what the from what the docs mentioned, uh, you've rescued your friend in the last game of the series, and you find yourself transported to the starship USS Pisces, which you do figure that out pretty quick once you start the game, and you've got to get back to your own time, uh, and as I recall, you have to piece together a large golden sundial boat by okay. recovering various pieces. Now, 
what makes this game unique is that it looks and plays sort of like a, a mini games that are for the spectrum, like your dizzy yes. style games. I would call this a, a dizzy style game. I, maybe there were games before dizzy that did this, but uh, you essentially go from room to room and you pick out, you add things to your inventory. You can interact with people, but, what makes this game unique to this series, because again, like you mentioned, this is just one game in a series of games, is the uh, the the uh, the user interface, and this user interface is called the Windimation system. Okay, and yeah. this is a way for you to manipulate uh, your inventory, to carry on conversations, to examine various things in a way that is not cursor-based. So if you think about your normal point-and-click adventure game, you've got a cursor, and you're using your mouse or your joystick to point at things on the screen, and then you have a row of commands on the bottom that tell you what you want to do with that thing. Talk to the person, uh, examine the thing. Uh, when you don't have a text parser, you're using this cursor. Well, in this game, it works a little bit differently. In this game, uh, whenever you approach an object, you hit your button and a, uh, a window pops up and the window has a series of commands that are in a vertical uh, column that you select with your joystick. Um, this is sort of the, uh, the, the, the unique factor in this game, uh, this windimation system. Uh, and it allows you to do a whole bunch. You can interact with things in so many more ways than a normal dizzy style game where you're limited to picking things up and giving things to other people. Um, Aaron, what do you think? about this the windimation system i guess before we go any further well you know uh, this game came after the that spellbound game which also used this system and this is uh, this game was simultaneously uh the system i should say it's simultaneously way way ahead of its time and clunky somehow to me and now and and, and not to go to get buried for saying that but this is a system that would be have been right at home with like a mouse, for example, you could have played this with a mouse, and it would have it would have made or that part of the system would have made perfect sense because it's a series of pull down menus. And when you first open that very first command, it's just it's overwhelming. You're like, holy crap! There's tons of stuff you can do. Everything from picking stuff up to examining it, to wearing stuff, to putting stuff down, to handing stuff to people. And once you get into the sub menus where you're interacting with stuff or you're talking to people. You can give people orders. You can tell people what to do. You can talk to people. There's a ton of stuff you can do. And when you look at it, you're like, it's funny to look at the game because the if, without the menu, you look at the game and it looks like a real basic game. <laughs> like a, almost looks like a platformer in a lot of ways. And then when that system, that menu rolls out, it's just like, holy cow, there's yeah. a lot going and on I'll here. And I'll tell you what makes this even more special is the speed at which the menu operates. Uh, we just got done playing a game on the Tandy Color Computer called the Interbank Incident, which was another yeah. early adventure game. And it just took forever to do anything because of whatever code was being written. It just took a while to process. In this game, you push the button and that menu pops up like nothing. I mean, it pops up super quick. You're scrolling between the commands. It's super, super fast. 
So that definitely has that's a, that's a, that's a definite positive in my book. You know, when you're when you're setting out to create a user interface, you want the user interface to be snappy because you can really get bogged down, especially with the number of commands that's available in this system. You know, I, I'm so that's a great comparison, boat to the interbank incident. And by the way, you should, everyone should check that out if you like this game because I think you'd probably like that one too. And that game is the only thing that lets it down is the fact that it does run slower because it's also got a pretty nice. You know, system of to inter, uh, to interface with your with what's going on, on the screen. This this game that you get through the menus pretty quickly, but it's just they're so huge, and you also have to confirm all the stuff you do, and so that's an extra step. That I mean, I can understand why it's in there, but it it, it slows it down. But on t- unlike the interbank instant, where pretty much that your interface is the game, like this also sits on top of a game that. It uh, has you run around and and have to and I mean you have to have dexterity, make jumps, um, you know, and you have to find ways to get hold of objects and stuff. I mean, it's a it's a strange combo, isn't it, boat? Of these it, it is unique, and I wonder if it is to the game's benefit that this is that this is like this because uh, you have to ask yourself what does the game gain by giving you a playable character that runs around versus a game where you know you are just kind of moving from room to room almost in like a first person's perspective um you know you do associate yourself with this knight you know you say okay this is me i'm this guy okay but on the other hand your knight's appearance never changes throughout the game so uh spoiler alert when you begin this game you're wearing an invisibility cloak okay you don't know this unless you look at your inventory, unless you use the wear object command and you can see that you're wearing it uh, because yeah, your character look itself is one thing you can also find out. Your character is clearly visible on the screen to you. Now, obviously, it would have been majorly confusing if your character would have shown up and you would have been invisible from the get go. But, uh, you know, th- that's just one example of like if you're going to put a character on a screen. Uh, and you are collecting all these items and things, it would have been nice to utilize that character to kind of show off either if you're wearing things or if you're interacting with things in some way to put a little bit more you know, animation and character into the character itself. You know, something else that is odd about this game, this game is sort of a... a, a... It, 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 it excels in some areas. In some areas, it's weird. The you know the fact that you're a knight and you're on the spaceship. Clearly, the guy the guy that made this had seen a few episodes of Star Trek because it's got a lot. It reminds me a lot of Star Trek. I mean, complete with like I saw one of Spock's speeches in here, and there's you know there's a lot of Star Trek stuff. But I mean, a, a large chunk of this game takes place on the spaceship, and like you said, you're traveling to different planets and stuff. It's which is interesting, but you're a knight. And you're walking around, and you look like a little like geek. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look like a Ziggy or something. Just real tiny, like a dork. And I thought to myself, some of the graphics this really look cool, but the character you play looks really crappy. Well, you, you know, know it, I, don't, I don't, I didn't like that too much. It's, if I'm honest. It's, it's interesting because you have there's lots of characters on the ship that you can interact with. Yeah. Um, but there some of them are animated, and that they will move sort of in real time. So as you move, they move just like that. Um, and uh, if you uh, 
like for example one of the first characters that you come across it's a female character i can't recall her name but uh she will consistently move across the screen it's this this person that you're getting ready to interact with now if you're watching yeah. the video i zoomed over sharon okay uh and so um and so I think that that's cool. It's like the ship feels alive when when characters are moving from place to place. Now, you can order characters to stop moving to prevent that. And not all characters do move. Um, but I thought that, you know, the, the art on the ship itself, this is another game that utilizes the bright uh, spectrum color set very well. When you're doing something set in a sci-fi universe... I want things to be colorful. You know, I want to see a lot of a color on the screen. I don't want everything to be gray uh, like a real starship probably would be. I'd much prefer something like this. This is really, it, it seems like a cross between a starship and some sort of luxury hotel. Yeah. Uh, there, there's and, there's potted plants and comfortable chairs. And pig, but everyone here was a giant except for the people that actually yeah. staffed the, the ship. The scale is is odd in this game. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what you do in this game is you you have to solve a series of puzzles to move on to the next thing, okay? And this game is a classic example of, you know, something that was very common back in the day, which was you throw logic out the window, and you basically try, you, you interact with every object you possibly can to collect all of the items you possibly can, and then combine those items with every other item you possibly can until magically the solution appears because it would be next to impossible to figure it out on yourself using the logic of the puzzles in the game. Yeah, I mean, this is, again, this is a game that is sort of lost in time, right? Because th what this is the kind of game that you would sell to a, a teenager uh, who had nothing better to do at home? They come home and fire this up and play it all night and mess around with this thing uh, all for days. Mm -hmm. And so, what that does, and and listen, does this game give you the feeling of an adventure? You're, I mean, it gives you that feeling that you're going to multiple planets and you're going to different, and you're in a teleporter and you're doing all this stuff. It does feel epic in some yeah. ways. It's large. Uh, and, and it would be long to sit down and try to figure all this stuff out. You know, I watched a playthrough on this, and the guy whipped through it super quick. I think it took like 42 minutes. But, I mean, I thought to myself, this is the most ludicrous playthrough of all time because it doesn't show you anything about the game. Mm -hmm. It's just someone grabbing stuff, moving it back and forth, and, and it don't. there's no way that they could have figured any of this stuff out. Like, that doesn't show you the thought process that you would have to take to do this. So, like you said, it's a game where you would just have to grab stuff. And it's another part of the game that, on top of everything else, because your inventory is a huge part, you've got to obtain objects. And just to obtain them, you have to get to the to the non-windowed part where you have to actually walk your guy around. And sometimes you've got to jump off one, because it's a flip-screen game. You're jumping from something high on one flip-screen to another, like you're playing Manic Miner or something, where you're, jump, you're jumping, uh, uh, like, <laughs> and it's an odd fit. Mm -hmm. That part of the game too, and so just getting to some of the materials you need to get to is kind of weird, you know. Interacting with stuff in the background is kind of weird. Like I, some stuff you can interact with, some stuff you can't. You know, I mean, there's a lot of game here, a lot. But if, to me, if I would not play a game like this because I don't have the time. Number one, number two, I would have the inclination because this requires a ton of 
investment of your attention well, and see, your patience. That's that's where we differ. This is the kind of game if I would have had growing up, I would have played a ton because this is a game that really doesn't have a fail state. Uh, you are free to mess around with stuff as much as you want. You know, you can't really screw anything up. You can't. There's no game over, at least that I saw. Uh, you're basically just left. You're free to roam about this ship and 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 see what the ship has to offer. And you're doing it in, you know, in such a way that, uh, you, you know, with each room that you discover, because this game looks so bright and colorful and cool that it, it's sort of a reward in itself, even to do the most mundane things. However, this is 2022 me. And there are two things that really put me off this game. The first is the absolute inanity of the puzzles. Uh, You know, I played this thing for an hour, an hour, and I got nowhere. Okay. I had to look in the, I had to look at the solution just to get past the first puzzle. And I still don't fully understand how you'd figure it out without, without looking at a walkthrough. Okay. The second thing is the commands The you know, we take for granted what the scum engine sort of pioneered, how like you, you don't need to have a million different commands to slot it into any kind of game. You know, give me, give me a use, give me a look, give me a take. Uh, you know, you don't need to have all of these sort of esoteric commands. Now this guy was sort of starting, you know, the developer was sort of starting from square one and he's like, well, what commands do I need? And instead of trying to consolidate everything into, into, you know, a short list of commands, he wanted to go the more verbose route and, yeah. uh, and, and, and give you more specific things. To me, that really takes away from the game. The last, the yes, last, I agree with that. The last thing that I take away is I would take away the, the platforming, you know, like there are so many things in this game that are just dumb, like having to put an object down on the floor, like a piece of paper so you can jump up onto it to get to another. It's just dumb. Oh, it the advertisement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I did that. It doesn't, it doesn't fit the theme of the game. It just doesn't make sense. Even in a game that's wacky, it's too much. It's too much. And so, um, I would I, you can leave the character in there and just make it like a point and click adventure game, like a Sam at Max or Maniac Mansion. Walk around, interact with the people. I do like that more than a first person game. You know, I think that that was one of the things that I didn't like about Interbank. I like being able to see my guy on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just to me the platforming is just an, an unnecessary thing and possibly a holdover maybe from one of the earlier games where there was more platforming action. I haven't touched the other games because I have a feeling we're going to get to them at some point, mm-hmm. but uh, I just don't see the point of the platforming. You know, the thing is, there's a this game has uh, got a lot of stuff in it that I think would be really cool. Like the the actual parts where the starship flies around and stuff, you get to different planets, you get to star bases, the way they hone in the view, mm-hmm. the way that the crew and stuff looks. That's a cool. That's it's, I like that. Yeah, it's great. You, get, you go in there and refuel. You go in there and you you could beam you can beam yourself down and stuff. I liked all that stuff. But you're right. When it comes to the platform, it just seems out of place. There's a game on the Coco called Trek Boer that is similar to this in terms of the you know with the Star Trek sort of plot to it. That I, and I, and it was I would that game was uh, uh, one of the uh, 
games with the graphics at the top and the and it's just a regular text game at the bottom, you know. But there, so it wasn't as advanced at this as this, but it felt more mature to me. I don't like the idea of this. I don't like the way the knight's drawn. I don't mind having a knight. I don't. The scenario is okay, but I mean, I know they have to make them kind of cutesy or whatever, maybe for graphical purposes. But I don't like that either. It took me out of it, you know. Uh, and you're right. I mean, when it comes to like actually getting anywhere in the actual adventure, I mean, I sucked. I could get. I, I figured out ways to get to the stuff sometimes, and that was kind of fun, you know, try to figure that out, but in terms of getting anywhere in the game, if it wasn't for, like, uh, watching videos to get anywhere, I would have never got figured any of this stuff out. Yeah. And even as you're watching the, the, the playthrough, I mean, you're going to have to make significant maps to even just prevent yourself from getting lost, because this is yeah. a completely linear adventure. You move left or you move right, you get on a transporter and you're moving left and you're moving right. Uh, and so it's very easy to just lose your bearing. So this is a game that does, like you said, require a lot of, of investment in terms of time. Uh, not a bad thing, just just something to be aware of. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to mention that this uh, game wasn't just on the uh, ZX. It also got ported to the Amstrad, the C64, oh, and the MSX. Look at that, that garbage. Well, I mean, it's it looks pretty. It similar. looks like somebody threw up on the screen. It looks That's, pretty similar. No, though, no, there. everything that makes the ZX Spectrum version great is removed. Well, I mean, the, the color is not as, yeah. as attractive on the C64 yeah. version, but, but I mean, otherwise, it looks almost identical. It, you could tell this was a, a easily, without a doubt, they ported this over from the ZX. This to the is C64. one of those games in the playground battles when you said, "Hey, I've got your friend has a C64, and they're always lording it over you." You say, "Yeah, yeah. fire up nighttime sometime and let me know how that goes." Well, I, I listen. You're you're a hater. Haters gonna hate. It looks identical to me, except for some of the colors. Otherwise, it looks the same. But uh, your, you know, your mileage may vary. We you also I don't see. Music. I don't think your guy has the ability to bound across the screen like the guy in the ZX Spectrum version. Either. Well, I think this guy's taking the guy in the Commodore 64 version is taking his time. Typical the other Commodore guys user running around like a maniac. Yeah. Let's don't be a hater boat. Uh, so I looked up some. Uh, I looked up some uh, uh, scores on this thing just to see how it did. Uh, Crash uh, gave this a ninety-four. Uh, your Sinclair gave this a ninety, and Computer Gamer gave this an eighty-five. Boats, mm. they were they were really into it. Yeah, I know this series is very very popular, boat, and so uh, I have no doubt that we've got a lot of interest from our Discord community in this one. Oh yes, oh yes, yeah. we're gonna start things off uh, with man, a lot of reviews to go through here. We're gonna start things off with Lord Soup. Lord Soup says. This is the second of a sequence of three games, sort of, well, four. Finders Keepers was a little different. Uh, the main sequence were three fiendish and fun puzzle games starring Magic Knight. A little knight with a little magic, and if you play him right, a lot of brains. Uh, he talks about the Windimation system, uh, and he says the puzzles are challenging, but not too obtuse. The humor and adventure are enchanting. Nighttime is in uh, Lord Soup's opinion was the best of the series, but I recommend that Puzzle Hounds play the series in order: Spellbound, Nighttime, and Stormbringer. Mm. You'll laugh, you'll curse, and they'll be sulking with puzzles before you complete each adventure. But as Arnold would say, "Do it, do it now." <laughs> Will Brooker writes. Uh, I have fond memories of Finders Keepers, a budget game I bought randomly with a spare couple of quid in my school trousers and enjoyed for the rest of the day, but never played the more arcade adventure follow-ups about Magic Knight. Uh, so I am approaching this with no experience and no nostalgia. 
I simply didn't get into it, and rather than dismiss it, I've been thinking about why it doesn't appeal to me. On one level, I never got along with this genre of walking around, picking up objects, and dropping or combining them to solve puzzles. The solutions always seemed much too obscure and required too much wandering back and forward. But more than that, I played games to enter another world and lose myself in new environments. Rebel Star Raiders, The Hobbit, Mercenary, Shadowfire, Tyr Nanog, Lords of Midnight, Saberwolf, Elite, Death Chase, all games in completely different genres, but they allowed me to become part of their world by combining the on-screen descriptions or depictions with my imagination. With Nighttime, I don't feel like I'm actually in the world. On the scene of the bridge near the start, Magic Knight is a medium-sized sprite walking past two large alien pilots who seem to be part of the background rather than interactive characters. The rest of the ship consists of flat furniture floating against a black background. It doesn't look like an attempt to create real space, more like a bunch of props. The first character you encounter is called Sharon, but she's just a static, weedy-looking monster graphic with no personality or movement. I found it very difficult to fool myself that I was exploring a spaceship rather than just moving from screen to screen, looking at unimaginative graphics. Overall, I felt constantly as if I were just interacting with a 1980s computer, clicking laboriously through windows and trying to guess what the programmer might want me to do, rather than making sense of a world and its characters, something I think is definitely possible on the spectrum. This space adventure left me cold. Will Brooker, didn't like it. Mm. Pajaco, 6502, writes, Nighttime is a game I hold quite dearly to my heart. It's one of the games I got with my completely unexpected Specu 128 Plus 2 for Christmas circa 1987, and whilst I've never completed the game, I still go back to it from time to time. I love the graphics and the music in 128K only. I have to admit that the interface hasn't aged well, and by today's standards, it's a little annoying, but for back then, these sorts of things were awesome. I think because it took so darn long to load from tape and there was nothing really like it, you allowed for the annoyances. But regardless, this is a mem memorable game for me and one I will keep playing until it's completed. 1980s Pajaco gives this 9 out of 10. 2020s Pajaco gives this 6 out of 10. Mm. P.S. Pro tip, if you're playing this on emulation, you can ditch the gadget, the gadget X item used mainly for saving mid-game and just go with snapshots instead, thus allowing yourself an extra item slot. Very correct. Mm. Jed Byrne writes, While earlier Magic Knight games had platforming elements by nighttime, the third game, by the third game they were gone. This time around, it's pure adventure. The only problem is there isn't very much adventure. The only reason the jump button exists is, seems to be forgetting and using the advert and forgetting around the screen slightly faster. With the 128K version set on spaceship capable of visiting multiple worlds, you might expect engaging voyages of discovery. You would be disappointed. All you'll find is spaceships and caves that are all drawn using a lined, repetitive set of tiles. Most of the time, you're exploring the menus, trying to make something happen. This is made frustrating because so much information is hidden from you. If you examine a character, you'll get a couple of stats. You won't be told what they are carrying. In order to do that, you'll need to select the Take Item From option and see what is offered. Rather than solving puzzles, you just try everything with everything, and when something happens, it just feels like you've been quite lucky. You can issue commands to characters, but mostly you just ask them for help. The Windimation menus could have easily supported dialogue trees to help bring the characters in their world alive. This opportunity is missed, and instead, the characters simply serve as props for you to trying for you to keep trying things with. The occasional flourishes, such as the flash of a camera, the animation of space travel, and the occasional character moment, tease at what could have been created using the game engine. Sadly, nothing is done with this potential. 
D-Man writes, The third game in the Magic Knight series sees the titular hero teleported across time and space out of the usual fantasy setting and onto a starship in the future, replete with a fair few references and nods to famous sci-fi franchises. Having loved the first game in the series, for some reason the second never really clicked with me. Nighttime, however, with item management and puzzle solving now at the fore, at the expense of the platforming and item collecting of its earlier games, uh, definitely wormed its way into my affections. Essentially a game in two parts, you firstly have to solve the early puzzles in order to have the ship's crew recognize your authority before warping all over the galaxy on the quest to return Magic Knight to its own time. The 128K version is one of the relatively rare examples among Spectrum games where the extra memory didn't just result in a lack of multi-load and an AY tune bolted onto a 48K game. Here we not only got an AY tune, but lots of extra game content. More screens, characters, puzzles, and colorful splash screens to enhance the atmosphere. I don't consider this a total classic or a top-tier Spectrum game, but it's very enjoyable nonetheless. 8.5 out of 10. And finally, Orkmeal writes... As a newcomer to this game, I found Nighttime's graphics clean, its animation smooth, and the menu system fairly intuitive for a 1986 title. As a kid, the Hitchhiker and Star Wars puns would have tickled me pink. It's also the first game I've seen that actually lets you pick your own color clash poison. Choose between discoloring the background or your brave hero. If you ever need to explain color clash to someone, this is your demo game. Why that little guy with the oversized helmet keeps wiggling at his feet while jumping eludes me, but I could easily see my younger self spending way too much time, spelled T-Y-M-E, with this title. Mm, clever. Uh, however, I will agree with Will Brooker and Jed Byrne on one point. It does seem to require the tenacity of a virile teenager to keep examining, reading, and commanding everything and everyone in your path, and yet until yet another puzzle bites the 8-bit dust. Once more, I wonder whether modern times have simply become too fast-paced for this kind of lavish waste of time, or whether it has more to do with my own biological um, advancement. Seven out of ten. <laughs> and uh, one more pro tip. If you want to keep your sanity, don't ditch Gadget X until you've used it to turn off the music. <laughs> there you go. You know, a couple things that they mentioned there I want to touch on before we head out. The, you know, this is something else. I was you can imagine my surprise as I went down the menu and found cast a spell. Yeah, is one of the things there. <laughs> and you do, there's a bunch of spells. I, you know, having not played that, I was like, man, what? This is weird. This is just that is weird, uh, for sure. And one last thing, they that guy, uh, one of the reviewers mentioned Sharon, look, like looking like a freak, and she does. But I believe, as I recall, she's wearing a gas mask. So I don't think she's just a normal person that has a freakish look because of that. But otherwise, there's some, you know. I think I believe they said this this sold for three pound or just under three pound when it was when it was uh, released. Again, we didn't get this kind of action back in the day. But hey, if I'd paid like five bucks for a game like this, I don't think I'd be too disappointed. If Not I'm at honest. all. Not at all. You know, we look at this stuff. It's it, when as an American, we kind of look at this stuff from what we pay. If when we did pay for games, what we would have paid, and you know, games were never ever ever that cheap in the states no. ever and and so you know we were at the bare minimum you're going to pay you know at least 10 bucks but probably 30 bucks or 20 bucks so forget gets up to for under five u.s dollars and at the time i would probably have felt pretty good about that i would have pirated less too but if i'm honest yeah yeah i mean these budget titles time and again show themselves to be uh, one of the, the, the best values on the, on the platform. So. I should also, just as we close it down here, I checked on eBay uh, to see the availability of this. By the way, we have multiple copies of this boat in our collection. Uh, and this complete tape, 
uh, can be purchased for under ten U.S. dollars. All right, so, uh, quite a bargain. All right, Aaron, it's time to leave nighttime. Uh, of course, mm. we want to thank all of our uh, all of our uh, supporters. We have uh, so many, so many supporters, Aaron. So many that I've forgotten to pull up the document that lists all of them. Ha! Ah, here it is. Uh, so we want to give big props. It was stricken, yeah. We want to give big props to uh, our Clive's Club, the group of folks that selects the games that we play every week. Mr. Rocket, Mitsuyama, Richard Goulstone, Paul Bossman Harrington, McChessers, Jed Byrne, Justin Tidpot Gamer, Ork Meal, and Paul, a.k.a. Hermski. And, of course, if we get to that $200 a month, thing on patreon uh our sinclair will morph into a monthly show so if you'd like to help make that happen you can head on over to patreon.com slash our sinclair and uh and help uh and that leads us to our our sinclair supporter roll call which includes pajaco 6502 will brooker wonderly chesham stephen wilcott Chartel, Nathan Mills, Doug Berry, Jigglebox, David Terrace, Andrew Waite, Eric Nelson, Captain Crispy, Laurent Giroux, Mark Downey, Peter Mulholland, Chris Folds, Mark Durham, and Pixels at Dawn. Thank you, everybody. Of course, if you like our format and you want to hear more, feel free to check out our other shows, Amigos, Everything Amiga, uh, The Coco Show, which is all about gaming on the Tandy Color Computer, uh, 1200XL, about the Atari 8-bit, the Atari ST Show, and ARG Presents, where Aaron and the Brent spin the wheel and make the deal. All of these shows can be found on the Amigos Retro Gaming YouTube channel or at anchor.fm slash Amigos Podcast. Aaron, well done, Boat. what are we going to be playing next week? I've got no idea. Let's find out. Oh, roll that coaster. Man, I hope that song's in it. I love that song. <laughs> that is, I don't like it, but there what? you go. Roller coaster. I never liked the that. The Ohio one, Players? Hey, I love the Ohio Players. It's just not one of my favorite tunes, but mm. this is Roller Coaster for the 48K uh, Spectrum. It looks like it's from Elite. Yeah. So this should be fun. I'm not, I have no idea about this one. <laughs> Me Bode. neither. We'll find out. Thank you guys so much for listening and rewind tape and press play.